The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk with you today about the ultimate prayer coach. Someone who can help you learn the spiritual skill of praying. Last week we started this series about the prayers of Paul. And and we're in this series going through the books of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And in each of these uh, books, Paul gives a prayer for the believers at that church. And one of the things I've noticed as I've read through these books a number of times is that the way Paul prays is so different from the way we pray. I've been to lots of prayer meetings. I've prayed with lots of different spiritual leaders and church leaders and uh, not to diss any of them or myself or you, but Paul prays in this totally different way from us. He has almost different assumptions and different priorities in his prayers. And so we're setting out in this series to dissect those prayers and to challenge ourselves to pray a little more like an apostle. And and maybe the hope is that as we pray more like an apostle, we might see some of the more radical things that the apostles saw in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our communities. We want to be a people who who pray prayers that shake the gates of hell. We want to be a people who pray prayers that change the course of human history. And as always, it's God's word that gives us the direction. We don't have to look to some dynamic teacher or some fad to figure out how to do that. We look to God's word. And God has given us such richness in Paul's prayers. I often have thought, boy, you know, Apostle Paul's kind of a, a hero of mine. Wouldn't it be so cool if you could kneel next to him and, and, and hear him breathing and hear him praying and, and, and sense the emotion in him? And by God's grace, a lot of that is captured in these prayers of Paul. Last week, we started with the challenge to build your base. If you weren't here, it's a great message to listen to on our website. Because as I prayed about, Father, what do you want me to communicate to your people about our prayer lives? One of the first things I realized in my own life is, how much of a prayer life do I really have to build on? I mean, we're going to be looking at the prayers of, uh, you know, kind of a spiritual superstar who is really, really uh, refined in his skill of praying. Do we even have a base prayer life to build on? Or are we just kind of, you know, maybe every occasional meal we might slip up a quick prayer. When we get a flat tire, we pray. Do we really have a prayer life? And last week we, we talked about these two extremes of legalism and laziness. And that throughout church history, churches and people tend to fall into one of these two ditches on each side of the road of God's will for your life. And in recent church history in North America, a lot of Christians fell into the ditch of legalism. It was, you know, go to church Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday morning, church Sunday morning, church Sunday night, always get dressed up, always look really good. And those things are all good. But there was a tendency to do those things on the outside and have your heart not be there on the inside. And that's what God calls legalism is when we have external religion without our heart being involved. But there's been a a bit of a counter uh, correction and at least in my generation in the American church, we're veering into the other ditch, and that is the ditch of laziness. We say, well, I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to be fake. 
So if I don't feel like praying, I won't pray. If I don't feel like going to church, I won't go to church. If I don't feel like serving, I won't serve because I don't want to be fake. And we hide behind this kind of false humility and, and we veer into the ditch of legalism. So the challenge last week from God's word was from Ephesians 6 verse 18 where Paul says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. And in verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 6, Paul's going to tell us four times to pray. And there's nothing wrong with having a discipline and even a routine like Daniel did. We saw that Daniel prayed three times a day. We saw that Jesus had a habit of getting away to lonely places to pray with the Father. We saw that Paul talks over and over about, quote, in my prayers. Uh, Godly people have uh, routines that help them to pray. And, And so maybe you're afraid of that and it sounds legalistic. Last week we challenged you, do you have some routines? Um, are you consistently praying? And, uh, for those of us who struggle with that, like for me, um, my routine is every night, you know, at 10 o'clock, I, I sit down at our kitchen table, the kids are in bed and, uh, Mel starts getting ready for bed. And that's my time when I pray. And, and, and I have to, I can't have my computer there. If my computer's there, I'll get on Facebook. I'll start checking email and I'll waste my whole prayer time. And so I have to be kind of rigid with myself just because I know myself. I have to say, it's just me, my Bible, my journal, my pen. That's my time. And I pray. If you missed it last week, we gave you four really practical tools for you to build your base. And that is having a set time. Mine's at night. Melanie's is in the morning. Yours could be whenever works for you. Uh, Another one is actually writing out your prayers. We see this in the Psalms. You can write them out long form. I do that because I have an ADD brain. Or you can just have a prayer list where, you know, you just write one sentence, what the request is, you put the date, then God answers it, and later you, you check it off. And it's so fun to look back over those. You can learn some mental handles so that when you sit down and you think, boy, I want to pray, but my mind is wandering. We talked about some mental handles, the P-R-A-Y acrostic, praise, repent, ask, yield. And you can memorize the Lord's prayer, which is where that acrostic comes from. And so when I don't know what to pray and my mind's wandering, I just start with, okay, I'm going to start with the praise. Thank you, God, for these things. Now the R, repentance. There's usually a few things I can think of there. A, the asking, plenty of things there. Y, the yielding. God, my life is yours. Take it. Uh, So you get these mental handles. So you have a time. You write your prayers out. You have these mental handles. And then finally, you can pray scripture. You can open up to the book of Psalms or the bookmark that's in your program today for our prayers of Paul series has listed on it the references of all Paul's prayers. You can keep that in your Bible when you don't know what to pray. Turn to one of those prayers and you can pray that. So that's where we started. And I know, because I know a lot of you are like me, that some of you probably left last week and thought, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to build a base. I'm going to start a consistent prayer life so that I have, you know, something that God can build and grow. And by about Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, maybe you totally forgot about it, if you're like me. And it's so neat that this first passage of prayer that we're looking at reminds us that we have a coach who helps us pray. 
You guys, uh, I know a lot of you watch the Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. I don't know what it is. And I love not looking at the news to see who won the events. I just want to see it uh, happen with the nice drama that unfolds on NBC. And I love it when you get to see that moment before a downhill skier or a snowboarder or a figure skater, right before they, they head out on the ice or the snow. And sometimes it shows that moment where the coach... The coach is there. And you can tell there's just this bond between the athlete and the coach. And the coach is telling them, you know, you can do this. And, and in that little moment, what we're seeing just a, a, little, a, a little peek into years of relationship. And in those years, the coach has been daily training this athlete. And in the months leading up, the coach has been helping this athlete think through every turn, be aware of every competitor, the coach has, if they're skiing or snowboarding, has made sure that they're, they have just the right wax on their equipment for the conditions that day. The coach has probably made sure they got a good night of sleep before. The coach makes sure they're mentally focused in that moment. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a coach like that uh, for your life? You know, who every morning is like, all right. Here you go, kiddo. You know? Here's everything you need today. Here's a few weaknesses in your form. You need to work on these, but you're doing great on these. Let's go get them. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a coach like that? Well, Scripture tells us that we do. God's love letter to us explains that you have a coach like that, and his name is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And he's waiting to coach you in your Christian life with a power that many of us don't even realize. In fact, Jesus says this of him in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because when I go, I'm going to send my comforter, the Holy Spirit, and, and he will help you. He will teach you. He will coach you in following me. And you know, a lot of times when I read that verse, I think, was Jesus... He, Jesus had to be kidding, right? Because, I mean, literally, here's the two options. You can walk with Jesus and physically have Jesus sitting in your passenger seat while you drive around, sitting in your office, or you can have the unseen Holy Spirit in you. Jesus, are you kidding me? I would rather have you with me. But Jesus starts that verse, John 16, 7. He says, verily, verily, truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth. Even though it might not seem like it, it's better for you that I go away and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And you know what that word comforter, that Greek word is the word paraclete. It means to come alongside. Isn't that exactly what a great coach does? They come alongside that athlete. When they fall down, they pick them up. They say, here's what you can do better. You're going to do it. A paraclete is someone who comes alongside, who picks you up. And God says, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you. And for most of us, he is this untapped resource, this spiritual coach who's with us to help us follow Christ and especially to help us pray. We're going to see that the Holy Spirit and prayer are linked over and over. And for some of us, we think, well, I don't really sense the Holy Spirit in my life. Is it any coincidence that we're also not praying very much? So let me give you our big idea today. I can pray with confidence because the Holy Spirit helps me in prayer. I can pray with a confidence that the Holy Spirit will help me 
when I pray. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere or met someone who says, hey, whatever you need, just ask. Uh, Maybe you're staying at someone's house and they're just a a great host. They say, whatever you need, just ask. I mean, you know, help yourself. But if if you need anything that you you can't see, just just ask. And then they bring you a bottle of water or a drink or whatever. and, And you realize from their demeanor and the way that they deliver it that this person really means it. They really mean like whatever, whatever comes up, whatever I need to just ask them for it. There are people like that out there. Mark and Terry Kirkendall are like that. Joe and Cecily Gray are like that. Cecily was over there this morning when I stopped in at the roster bill and she's getting everything ready for the potluck. Uh, Jim and Denise Budd are another couple like that. You've got all sorts of brothers and sisters in this church who are like that because scripture calls it a spiritual gift of helps or service. You know who gives the spiritual gifts and who gives that gift? The Holy Spirit who himself is the helper. So here we have Jesus who, who knelt down and, and with that muddy water running down his forearms, washed the disciples' feet. Jesus, the, the great servant, and he says, even better than having me is the Holy Spirit. He's such a helper. He's such a come-alongsider. He's such a comforter that, that your life's going to be better with him living in you, being with you. So the challenge for us is to ask for help. See, the Holy Spirit is waiting to provide the help, but very often we don't ask for the help or we ask for um, maybe a specific thing and that's okay, but we miss maybe the deeper heart need. So I want to encourage you as we look at the Holy Spirit's role in prayer to start by just asking him for help. Whatever you need in your spiritual life, in all of your life, in your emotional life, in your prayer life, ask him for help. God, I, I need you to help me have a desire to pray. I need you to help me pray when I don't have the desire to pray. And when I do actually pray, I need you to give me the words. I need you to give me the focus. I need you to teach me to pray. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples asked that to Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you can pray that if you're struggling to have a consistent prayer life. You can, or even if you have one. You can say, God, I, I want to know you more. Teach me to pray. And, and when you pray that, God's going to answer that prayer through the Holy Spirit who comes alongside you, who coaches you, who helps you. Let's look at our text today, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to dig into just the first half of one of these prayers. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17 of Ephesians 1. Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, Paul's writing to a church, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Now, it's not the thread that we'll trace this week, but we will see this theme of thanksgiving for what God is doing in other people's lives. We'll see this all through Paul's prayers. Verse 17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. A little footnote we've got the Trinity right there, okay? 
God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the important theology, it's one God in three persons. It's not three separate gods. It's one God in three persons. It's a little bit beyond the grasp of our minds, but it's an important part of theology. And and over and over in Scripture, we'll see that we pray to the Father through Jesus' name, It's because of Jesus' blood on the cross, his death and resurrection, that we're able to enter into the throne of God, Hebrews 4.16. But then it's the Holy Spirit who kind of coaches us along as we do that. So Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay, let's just focus on that last little part. What is Paul asking for for these believers? He's saying, God, give these believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they'll know you better. Have you ever heard somebody pray that in a prayer meeting or at a home group? God, I just, I just want to pray For my sister over here, I pray that you would give her the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that she would know you better. I've never heard anyone pray like that. And now now you see what I'm saying when I say Paul just, the way he's praying is, is different from the way we pray. And today we're going to focus in just on this idea of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But I'll explain a little more about that phrase in case you're curious. God, Paul's saying, God, you know, what we don't see in Paul's prayers very often is him saying, help this person's circumstances, help their job, help their physical sickness, help their boss who doesn't like them, help their neighbor who plays the music too loud, help the HOA to get off their back about the trash cans being on the curb. Now, Those things are all fine. And Jesus tells us, you know, uh, we can bring everything to the Father. Those things are fine. But I've noticed uh, in my experience in the American church, those things dominate our prayers. And then I look at Paul's prayers and those things are just missing. And instead, he's, he's praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's the difference, okay? You've heard the old saying, you know, do you want to give a man a fish or teach him to fish. Uh, or you could put it this way. Let's see you, you see a hungry person and you have lots of resources. It would be better to give them one sandwich or one meal or to give them a working farm and teach them how to use it and feed themselves for the rest of their lives. Obviously, the latter. It's, it, so Paul does care about the circumstances that the Ephesians are in. But he knows they don't just need a little magic ticket to get them through the circumstance they're in. They need the wisdom of God in their life that will apply to all of their circumstances. They need the revelation of God that will apply to everything they ever encounter. So at first it might seem like Paul doesn't care about what's going on in your life, but it's actually because he cares that he's praying at a much deeper, more foundational level. So what is this spirit, this phrase, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, what does it mean? And I want to give you a principle here if you're taking notes that you can jot down anytime you're doing a Bible study, anytime you come across a phrase and you think, what does that mean? When I came across this phrase, I thought, okay, 
In some translations, spirit is capitalized and in some it's not. So is this referring to the Holy Spirit or is this some other spirit of wisdom and revelation? If you're studying your Bible and you come to a place like that, how do you know? Well, the first thing you do is you start within that same book and you're going to look for the same word to be used by the same author in that same book. In this case, we're in Ephesians, written by Paul. Okay, does Paul talk about the Spirit anywhere else in Ephesians? Yes. Does he talk about, use this word Spirit and prayer together? And what I found is actually every time he talks about prayer, he brings up the Spirit. And it's so clear from the other two instances that this is the Holy Spirit. In those instances, if you want to jot them down, are Ephesians 3, verse 16 where Paul says, I pray that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit. And 6 verse 18, where he says, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. So Paul talks about prayer three times, and three times he talks about the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. By the way, uh, if you are reading your Bible through your devotions and you come up to something like that, a really great uh, study tool for you. If you don't have a life application study Bible, that's a great tool. Also, there's a free website, blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. You can pull up a passage like this. You can click on that word and you can just search where else is this word spirit used in Ephesians and you can find it really fast. So my job is to equip you as a follower of Christ, so that you know how to pray, so that you know how to read your Bible, so that you know how to follow Christ. That's what I'm trying to do for you here today. You know, when I was a journalist, in the course of writing different stories, sometimes I would need to get access to a person who, by this world standards, is really important. You know, a, a governor, or a congressman, or a Fortune 500 CEO, or a millionaire, or a billionaire even. And I, I learned as I approached those different folks the importance of their assistance. Uh, most of these high-level folks by human standards have really good assistance, and they really put a lot of trust in their assistant. And I saw different times other reporters or other people who would treat that assistant as if the assistant was just the help as if the assistant was a roadblock. And what they didn't realize is that the assistant is not a roadblock. The assistant is a springboard. The assistant is the doorway into that person. And if that person is a decent leader at all, they trust their assistant. And when the assistant says, hey, so-and-so from this publication wants to interview you, they're going to say, well, do you think it's worth my time? Do you think I should? And I saw other reporters and other people treat that person poorly and not even realize the results of the crucial role that assistant plays. And as I've thought about the Holy Spirit in prayer, I've thought, how many of us are treating the Holy Spirit like that? Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that we can put out the Spirit's fire. We can douse his flame with water. We can quench him. Many of us live our Christian lives ignoring and quenching the Holy Spirit. In fact, that word grieve in Ephesians 30 is 4.30 is that idea of your stomach turning. It's like if you kicked someone in the gut. 
Because you see, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so when you're out of touch with God, when you're living life your own way, when I'm living life my own way, he doesn't leave you or forsake you. He just has to kind of grit his teeth and bear it and put up with it. So for very many of us, our prayer lives are kind of limp and empty because the Holy Spirit's kind of balled up in the corner. Paul talks elsewhere to young Timothy. He says, you can fan into flame the work of the Spirit in you. And so maybe the takeaway for some of us today is just to say to God, God, I want to have a a real prayer life. I want to pray the way that you want me to pray. I know your Holy Spirit plays a role in that. And God, if I've grieved your spirit, if I've been pushing your spirit down, Lord, I want to fan into flame your spirit in me. You know that phrase in Ephesians 6 verse 18, pray in the spirit. It's one of these phrases that certain brands of American Christianity, they kind of own that phrase, right? There are churches that they pray in the spirit. And uh, I'm sure that, that many of the people in those churches are praying in the Spirit. And, and yet, with it, there's some human experiences, kind of a checklist of, well, it looks like this, and it sounds like this. And, and so others of us think, well, I don't know what praying in the Spirit looks like, because our church doesn't really do that. Well, I want you to be clear. If we look in Scripture, what does pray in the Spirit mean? You can pray in the Spirit in English, okay? You can pray in the Spirit in English. Paul talks about other people praying in in the tongues of angels, so that's possible too. But you can pray in the Spirit in English. You don't need some secret language or dramatic experience. Again, you know, I think God can work through those folks too. I haven't experienced that myself, but I know with confidence by God's grace that I'm able to pray in the Spirit in English. You can pray in the Spirit at the foot of your bed at night before you go to bed. No one's looking, and it's not exciting but you just align yourself with God's spirit. Praying in, in the spirit is, a, is about aligning yourself with the presence of God in your life and saying, God, if there's anything in my life that's out of line with what you want, I want to be in line with your spirit. I want to be filled by your spirit. So let's keep looking in scripture and see what this says. And I only say that not to disparage any Christian tradition, but to encourage you. If you think, well, that stuff's for a certain group of people. It's not really for me. No, if it's in God's word, it's for you. You can pray in the spirit today. And like the disciples, I often find myself just asking God, teach me to pray. And like that man who came to Jesus for healing and didn't have enough faith, I often find myself saying, Lord, help my unbelief. And the spirit's there to help you. When you say, God, I don't feel like praying. I'm trying to pray, but I can't get my mind focused. I, whatever it is that you need help with, just ask. And the Spirit will help you. So let's get into our text here. Here's the first point we're going to draw out. I can pray with confidence that I belong in God's presence. Do you know that you belong in the presence of the Father? You belong in God's presence. Now, a lot of us today don't really have an idea of how holy God is and how unapproachable he is to us in our fallen humanity. But this is really an incredible thing. You know, it's not everyone who belongs in God's presence because God is a holy God. And, and, and it, would, it would contaminate his holiness and his goodness if there was sin in his presence. 
So that's why the way I was born, the, the way I am in my human nature, I could never go into God's presence. It, it, would, it would contaminate the holiness. That's why there came a point in my life where I had to trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he would purify me in, in the spiritual realm. That's why you hear phrases like, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Though my sins were as scarlet, they're as white as snow. Because yes, I was a sinner. But now that I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, I'm washed, I'm purified, I'm adopted into the family of God, and I'm welcomed right up onto the lap of my Heavenly Father. And that's true for you if you've placed your faith in Christ Hebrews 4.16 tells us that those of us who believe in Christ, we have the right to approach the throne of grace with confidence. You can approach God with confidence. Let's look at, uh, you know, well, if you look in verse 15 at the very beginning, Paul says, for this reason. What is this reason? Well, if you look up about an inch on your page, you can see what the reason is. We'll put it on the screen here, verses 13 and 14. Here's the reason that Paul is praising God. He says in Ephesians 1, verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. So it's because you've placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why you can pray with such confidence. And he says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of who? Of us, who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So you belong in God's presence. I don't know if you've ever uh, ventured somewhere where you didn't belong, I remember uh, I was kind of a young college student, and it was after my freshman year of college, so I, uh, I, must have been, I must have been 18 at the time, and I was in England on a mission trip, and we were going door to door, and, um, and I knock on this door, and the door opens up, and it's the London chapter of the Hell's Angels. So I'm standing there in my like, you know, fundamentalist khakis and button up shirt with my Bible and, <laughs> and these like huge guys come up and they're like, Hey, what do you want? And they're like, Hey, you should come in. You should really come in. And, and you know, I immediately knew I didn't belong here. It, you know, I just, I knew I didn't belong. Have you ever, you know, you've walked into a place and everyone looks at you? That happens sometimes too. When I was reporting in small towns in Arizona, like Eloy and, and Coolidge, you go into a diner and everyone looks at you and they all know, they all know each other, you realize, and they all know that you're a visitor and you're like, am I in a Stephen King book right now? What, what is going on? You just know that you don't belong there. And the opposite is that just like deep internal peace when you know that you do belong somewhere. We've, I've got a picture. My favorite illustration of knowing that you belong somewhere is this one. Of John F. Kennedy Jr. down at his daddy's feet. I was in Washington, D.C. earlier this month and at an event where the, the president was there. And it was, it was obviously not at the White House because they would never have me there, I'm sure. And uh, so when the president comes to this uh, hotel, 
the whole morning, I woke up in the morning, I looked out my window, and there's bomb-sniffing dogs going around on the ground. There's Secret Service people everywhere. And uh, after the event, I went out to uh, meet someone for coffee, and every block uh, was blocked off still. Uh, because the event was over, but the president hadn't left yet. Every intersection was blocked off by police cars uh, for al- almost like half a mile radius around this place. Y- you know, no one can just approach the president of the United States. But when you're the president's child, you can go boldly with confidence into his presence. And if we look at all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is this holy, perfect, all-powerful authority who created galaxies, who raises up rulers and knocks them down, who sees the nations like grasshoppers. We have no business getting inside of his security bubble. And through Jesus, he says, run to me, jump on up in my lap. Because I'm your father and I want to hear from you. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give you a couple slides on your outline here. The Holy Spirit is the present down payment that I am God's. That is... When you buy a house or a large possession, and most of us don't just write a check or put down cash for something like that. It takes a little while for all the banking and paperwork to go through. So, so that the seller knows you're serious, you put down a significant down payment that they know you're not just kicking the tires. You're serious about buying this thing. And when you put down that down payment, even for most of us, after our mortgage gets funded, the bank still owns a good chunk of the house. But that down payment says that, that, that this house is yours and that, that you are going to one day fully own it. And, and God uses this word deposit in Ephesians 1 to say the Holy Spirit, he's not only in you to help you, but he, he marks you spiritually. In the unseen realms, there's a mark on you and it's a good mark. It's a mark that says beloved of God, chosen of God. Protected by God, set apart by God, empowered by God. And all the angels and the demons and the supernatural hosts of the universe, they look at you and they see that you're marked by the Holy Spirit. You can have confidence in that. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. The Spirit, the Spirit you received, this Holy Spirit, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Our lives, apart from Christ, most of us, are controlled by fear. Fear about what might happen in the future, fear about what might happen today, fear about what people think of us, fear about our health, fear about if we'll have enough. That's, we were slaves to that before Christ. But rather, this spirit, you fan him into flame into your life, here's what you're going to have instead of fear. The ability to cry, Abba, Father. See, you're adopted as a son or daughter of God. No matter how you behave, no matter how you mess up, you're adopted that moment you place your faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit marks you. And now he wants to replace in you those old controlling things like fear. And he wants to replace them with this godly confidence that I'm chosen by God. I'm loved by my heavenly father. 
And I can use an ancient word for daddy. And call this all-powerful God who shouldn't even care about me daddy. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence in me. And as I ask God, Lord, would you fan the spirit into flame in me? The spirit himself testifies with your spirit that you are God's children. He, he affirms you. He encourages you. One of my good friends calls this kind of confidence, open the refrigerator confidence. That, you know, when you, when you visit someone and they're kind of an acquaintance, you don't just walk up to their fridge and open it up. But when you're family or you're a really close friend, you can go to their house and, hey, how you doing? And go straight to the fridge and open it up, right? This is open the refrigerator confidence that we have in God's presence. And the Holy Spirit plays a central role in this. Here's the next thing we learned today. I can pray with confidence that I'm never alone in prayer. Never alone. Think of these figure skaters and skiers and other solo athletes who spend so many hours training alone, but very often they're not alone. Very often their coach is there with them in the empty arena. They're with them in the cold dark on the ski hill. They're never alone. And in an encouraging way, you're never alone in your efforts to grow spiritually. You're never alone in your efforts to grow in your prayer life. We learn about this later in Romans 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And for some of you, that's just, that's the phrase for you to take away today. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. Maybe it's your weakness to get a prayer life going. Maybe it's some other thing. As we look at Paul's prayers and we think, I could never pray like that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Can anybody relate to that? God, I'm trying to improve my prayer life. I don't even know what to pray for. Or I think I do and my mind wanders. The Spirit will help you in your weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Translates. Through wordless groans. Holy Spirit is so emotional. And, and, and he translates. If you will just pour out your soul to God. No matter how messy it is. Thought about titling today. Pray messy. Just. Just. You know. People talk about word vomiting. You, you, can, you can do that in prayer. You, that's what so many of the Psalms are. David's like. Alright God. Here's everything. Ah. And when you do that with just an honesty, the Holy Spirit takes that bloody, bruised stuff and, and, and translates it into the, the lyrics of heaven, the poetry of heaven. The Holy Spirit helps you when you pray. He's there. And he who searches our hearts, that is God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit, God the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit upholds you. He encourages you. He even interprets your prayers. Did you know that he does that in your prayer life? Is it encouraging to know that in this sense you never pray alone? Your efforts to grow in your praying are not 
in vain and you're not alone in them. Here's encouragement for you that when you don't know what or how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you if you'll step out and make the effort. The assumption of Romans 8, 26 is that you are praying. And if you'll just, you know, step off the ledge, (laughs) he'll carry you along. The Holy Spirit is so important in our prayer lives. I don't want to make too much of this, but you guys should know that, you know, I wouldn't be up here the weeks that I get to have the privilege of teaching you guys God's word without the Holy Spirit. You know, there's, there's weeks, I'm very human, there's weeks when I, my heart doesn't desire it or I'm tired or whatever else. But none of that matters because I've learned that if I ask God to empower me through the Holy Spirit and to give me his love for his people and his words for his people, it doesn't really matter how weak I am or tired I am or distracted I am because the Holy Spirit is faithful to show up in your spiritual gifting and to work through you. And it's the same way in your prayers. And if you just keep showing up for your time, your appointment with God, and in those times when you say, Lord, I don't feel it, I'm not in it, just ask him to strengthen you through the Holy Spirit. He'll intercede for you. He'll pray for you. You could put it this way. The Spirit is holding me up and helping me as I pray. There have been weeks when I, you know, maybe have a sinus infection or allergies or was up late with the kids or whatever else where I literally feel up here like the, the God is holding me up. And those are the weeks when I know I have nothing to offer. And those are always the weeks afterwards that people are like, that was your best message ever. And it's true because it was less of me and more of him. I mean, you look at these folks like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's in a wheelchair, and they say, it's a blessing that I'm disabled because I learn to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you see God work through them in ways that we don't see in some of our able-bodied lives. And it's because we are just relying on our own strength. I'm getting on to something else here. Let's give you the third point. I can pray with confidence that God will strengthen other believers through my prayers. Do you know that? Did you know that tomorrow, if you pray for me, that God would strengthen me, that he will? Did you know that when your spouse is having a rough day and you think, man, I just don't know what to do. If you pray for them, that God will strengthen them. I mean, if we really believe that, how much more would we be praying for each other? And that's another one of the things we see in Paul's prayers is that very often he's praying for other believers, Ephesians three fourteen through 16, Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Do we believe that if we pray, God, will you encourage Frank by your Spirit in his inner being? Do we believe that when we pray that, God answers it? Paul does, because we see in Ephesians 6, 19, that he says this, pray for me also, 
that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul believed so much in the Spirit's work in prayer that he says, not only do I believe for other, or I pray for other believers because I know it works, but I ask other believers to pray for me because I know it works. I wonder, when's the last time you asked another believer to pray for you? You know, pray for me. Here's this situation. And I'd love to see God do this in the situation, but pray for whatever it is that God's teaching me in it. Pray for the deeper foundational thing. Will you pray that for me? Will you pray for strength for me? I know I'm called to share the gospel with this coworker. Will you pray that I have the strength to speak the words of God? That's how Paul thought. When I pray for others to be spiritually strengthened, the Holy Spirit will strengthen them. I know this is a lot of material. I told Clovis on the way in, I was like, man, I tried to focus on three words and I could do, I feel like there's 10 sermons in here. So thanks for bearing with me. And, and I'm trusting that the spirit of God for each of us is, is going to pick that one thing. Maybe it's Romans eight. The spirit helps you in your weakness. Maybe it's this. If I really believed that God encourages other people when I pray for them, I'd be praying for my kids a lot more. I'd be praying for my spouse a lot more. For those people I love who don't know Christ, I'd be praying for them a lot more. And I'd be asking others to pray for me a lot more. So let me give you three practical things as you go today, trying to keep this series really practical for your life. Here's the first one. Pray with an awareness that the Holy Spirit is with you and upholding you as you pray. You know, of these three, if you're, it'd be great if you can take all three, but it might just be pick one. As you keep building that base of your prayer life this week, take one of these things with you. An awareness that as you're doing it, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's encouraging you. He's coaching you. Just ask for help. Just ask for help. Be a disciple and say, God, teach me to pray. Be, be a, a, a person who's broken, who says, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Second thing you can take with you is pray for the believers you love. That they be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's great to pray for their circumstances, but it's probably better <laughs> to pray that they be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, regardless of their circumstances. And then third thing you can take with you, pray knowing who you are, son or daughter of God, and whose you are. And you can picture little John F. Kennedy Jr. sitting at his dad's feet there in the Oval Office if you need to. Would you stand and we'll pray together as we close? Father, we've, we've covered a lot of material today and Lord, in, in my humanness, it, it frustrates me because there's just so much more to you and to prayer. Thank you that we get to have this series. And Lord, we know your, your goal for us isn't to just rack up a whole bunch of head knowledge and have a library in our brain and live normal human lives. Your desire for us is that we be transformed through the renewing of our minds. So Lord, will you make us a people of prayer, that whether it's in the evening or the morning or three times a day, whenever that time is, that as we talk to you in prayer, we would be transforming to be like you. 
Lord, I, I'm your servant here, and, and these are your people, and my desire is to equip them that they would know the depths of your love, that they would know the joy of walking in companionship with you. So teach us to pray. Teach every individual in here to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, to align ourselves with you. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you that when I don't know what to pray or what to say, that you always show up. You're so good and you're so strong. Help us to know you and walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.